Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yep, it'll all be over by September 1, says Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) Who's he kidding? Yeah, right. Robert Mueller, good for him, just ignores anything that Rudy Giuliani says. Uh, So does uh, most Americans, uh, all except uh, Donald Trump, his boss. Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Thursday? Here we go. Uh, It is Thursday, August 9, uh, 2018. This is the Bill Press Show. That's me and that's you all together here to tackle uh, the news of the day with lots to talk about. As always, the Paul Manafort trial still grinding away over in Alexandria, Virginia. Rick Gates finishing up yesterday after getting pummeled again by the uh, defense attorneys. Uh, and it looks like uh, the trial is mainly about the cranky old judge who keeps uh, you know, insisting that everybody look at him when they talk to him and Treat him respectfully, and uh, he's just kind of getting in the way. Uh, Fortunately, it's the jury that will decide, not the judge, whatever happens over there. Uh, Donald Trump uh, doing at least one meeting a day uh, in between golf games um, to make sure that people know this is a working uh, vacation, uh, and he has to be up there. He doesn't want to be up there in Bedminster, New Jersey, the White House says. He's only up there because... The whole White House is just torn up with renovations, and they, it was in such bad shape they had to fix it, all of which, like everything else Donald Trump says, is total BS. We need your help sorting through it all, so get ready to send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show on the news of the day. Your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Lots to talk about, but first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news, some disturbing news this morning no. with the regards to the California wildfires. We've talked about these a lot, and it's important to remember that it's not one its not one giant wildfire. There are several different wildfires There's 17. going on. Yeah, yeah, 17 different Including wildfires. Including the largest ever, which is the Mendocino... 
complex fire. That's it. Yeah. There's also one uh, known as the Holy Fire, which has burned nearly 4,129 acres or 10 square miles up in the Santa Ana Mountains. It's forced evacuations. It's been a really, it's been a big problem out there. Well, yesterday, some disturbing news. Police arrested a man in connection with starting that fire. Arson uh, charges were brought up against Forrest Gordon Clark. He's 51 years old. He has been charged with suspicion of felony arson, making threats, and resisting arrest. He has his day in court today. He is currently being held on $1 million bail. Hard to imagine uh, that Uh, somebody would uh, start a fire like that. uh, It it is. I mean, you know, I'm against the death penalty, but anybody deserves it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, hey, it's hot outside, Bill. But Tell you me want, about You want to go somewhere with some nice weather? Well, there is a new index that takes a look at the cities with the nicest weather. In other words, which cities have the best days, the most nice days throughout the year? The city that was number one, Bill, is? I mean, American cities? American we- cities. American cities with the nicest weather. San Francisco. San Francisco is an excellent guess, but is not even in the top five. Oh, my God. I will give you this, though. The top five, all California cities. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. San Diego. San Diego is number three. Number one, Long Beach, California. Long Beach, California with 210 nice weather days per year, followed by Los Angeles with 182, uh, San Diego with 178, San Jose with 170, and San Francisco, you were close with San Francisco, Oakland, California with 138 days a year. Also in the top 10. That's only because they don't get all the fog that San Francisco gets. There you go. But some people like the fog. Some people like the fog. The top 10, all of them are West Coast cities. Seven out of the top 10 were all in California as well. Tacoma, Washington, Olympia, Washington, and Phoenix, which is weird because Phoenix is hot as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But those are the only ones that were not in California for the nice weather out there. Uh, but I'm sorry, but who wants to live in Long Beach, <laughs> California? This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, 55% of Americans say race relations have gotten worse under Donald Trump. Duh. What do you expect with a racist as president? Hey, hello, everybody. Here we go. Thursday, Thursday, August 9. Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us here. Hope you're having a great summer and uh, a great day so far today. We'll start it off for you, with you, rather, uh, taking a look at the news of the day from every angle, uh, wherever the news is happening such as it is here from Washington, D.C., around the country and around the globe, bring you up to date and give you a chance to sound off about it. We join you, of course, uh, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We haven't told you, um, I'm reminded you in a couple of days about our podcast, but it's up and it's ready for you. hope you have already signed up. More and more people are and have and do every day. And go to the podcast, but don't forget to... Register when you get there. Yeah, and you got to subscribe. You got to subscribe. subscribe. That's the word, subscribe, because that way uh, it doesn't cost you anything. You'll hear from us even on the weekends with special stuff, uh, important stuff that we want to we want to share with you. So uh, check out the podcast. Also, of course, 
nationwide, coast to coast on Free Speech TV and uh, statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks on the radio and the great WCPT out in Chicago, the progressive voice of Chicago, where we join you all in the greater Chicago area. Hello, 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 hello. Uh, So much to talk about today. It is a day uh, in history. Uh, 44 years ago today, Richard Nixon was forced to resign as president of the United States. Richard Nixon, who famously said, I'm not a crook. Donald Trump, just like Richard Nixon, except Donald Trump would have to say, I am a crook. Or at least I surround myself with crooks, uh, which means (laughs) to me, birds of a feather, right? (laughs) He is a crook. At any rate, imagine that. Imagine that. Also, uh, it's another day in history. This is a year after Charlottesville. We were just dealing with the shock of Charlottesville a year ago, and particularly with the shock of the president's insensitive comments, uh, where he actually, um, first of all, didn't condemn the violence in Charlottesville, and then said, you have to realize that there are some very, very fine people uh, on both sides, particularly, uh, uh, and he included that on one side, of course, the KKK, the white supremacists, the neo-Nazis, who were marching under the banner of Unite the Right. Uh, In light of that first-year anniversary, uh, Politico and Morning Consult publishes a poll this morning looking at race relations in this country. Uh, Not surprisingly, 55% of Americans overall, Democrats, Republicans, liberal, conservative, white, black, Latino, 55% of Americans say race relations have gotten worse under Donald Trump in the last year and a half. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, yeah damn right they have. With all the continuing obvious, yeah. racist statements by Donald Trump, including this week, attacking Don Lemon and uh, and LeBron James and calling Don Lemon and, uh, the dumbest man on television, attacking LeBron James because he happens to be a famous black athlete and the president can't stand black celebrities. He's basically attacked every one of them. Tell me when he hasn't attacked. You know, it's, okay, Don King. It, it, right. It goes hand in hand with the Charlottesville story. It right? does. You total, look at total. The long list of people that Donald Trump has uh, belittled uh, or called dumb, and it's all women, people of color. Yep. I can't think of any white man. No. And a lot of African-American celebrities. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, 55% say race relations have gotten worse. Only 16% say race relations under Donald Trump have gotten better. And breaking it down um, by ethnicity, 51% of whites say race relations have gotten worse. 79% of African Americans, I'm surprised it's not even higher, say they've gotten worse. And 60% of Latinos say race relations have gotten worse. Wow. Yeah. There you got it. You know, I, I, I was just saying, of all the people that Donald Trump has, has called stupid or attacked on Twitter, not a lot of white men. The first, the only white man that I can think of that he's really beaten up on is, um, well, his own attorney general, uh, Jeff, I was Sessions. Say Jeff Sessions. <laughs> he's yeah. the only right. white man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's about it. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, occasionally Rod Rosenstein sure. or Mueller, but really the relentless one of it yeah. about uh, Jeff Sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, you know, I, uh, I want to start with a, a story that's not a political story, which I find really fascinating. And that is that um, New York City yesterday did something uh, pretty pretty historic in itself. 
uh, the first city in the country uh, to deal with the problem, with the issue of Uber and Lyft and these ride-sharing programs by putting some limits on it. They, the city council overwhelmingly, I think, un, overwhelmingly, not, not universally, not, not unanimously, but overwhelmingly, uh, passed a bill that did two things. It limits the number of licenses that Uber drivers, uh, available to Uber drivers or Lyft drivers, or if there are any other ride-sharing services, whatever they are, uh, in the city. And it also requires that drivers be paid a, a minimum wage or higher wages. I don't think they've decided exactly what that should be, but it does, maybe it's not here in the article that I see in the New York Times, uh, setting a minimum pay rate for drivers. But it's interesting, this is limiting the number of cars. And um, when they say it's, 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 they say the reason it's important is not just to save the cab industry, but you know the cab companies, of course, push this legislation because, they, because of the competition, and they are losing a lot of money to Lyft and to Uber. Uh, but the city council says it's important because otherwise there's just too damn many cars clogging the streets of New York, which is true of any city where Uber and Lyft is. Uh, these are Uber drivers who are basically roaming around waiting for a, a ding waiting for a pickup, and that's what they do. And I can tell you my own experience in Washington, D.C., uh, drivers come in, particularly, I mean, we're talking UberX drivers, uh, come in with their own cars. They come in from the suburbs, come in from Virginia or Maryland, and they roam around the streets of Washington until they get a call. Uh, if you're looking for a cab and there's one in your neighborhood, that's good. <laughs> uh, if you're trying to navigate the streets yourself, that just means... Thousands of more cars yeah. pouring into the city every day. Yeah. Um, so I, it's, I, I'd be willing to bet uh, that uh, Uber will challenge this, that it'll be upheld in the courts, and that other cities will do likewise. Yeah, I mean, you know, Uber's got to get their act together, I they think. They do. They really do. And, and yeah. look, for They can't whatever... just be this total free agent. Right. Their attitude so far has been, we'll do whatever the hell we want. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you like, can't touch us. And and. Not to their credit, but I understand why a large company would do that because there aren't a ton of rules or regulations surrounding Uber, right? But there definitely needs to be. Yeah. There definitely needs yeah. to be. And if you listen I, to, especially here in D.C., if you listen to any radio, you will always hear Uber has ads up asking you to come and drive for them and tells you <laughs> right, how much money right, you can make. Right. And yeah. it's anybody. Yeah. Anybody. If you have a car, you can drive for Uber. Right. I don't want to be a hypocrite on this because I'm a big Uber, not not as big as some of my friends, <laughs> uh, but I use Uber a lot, and um, I would say I use it four or five times a month, let's say. If I'm leaving my house going somewhere, I'll use Uber. If I'm downtown and I walk out of a biz building and I'm heading home and I'm not near a metro station and there's a cab nearby, I'll hop in a cab. I'm not anti-cab, but to get something to come to your house, You'd wait all day for a cab. Uber's right there usually in three minutes at the most. So I use Uber a lot, but, um, I, but you know, you cannot just – nobody nobody ha enjoys a position of being totally unregulated and can do whatever they want, which is what Uber has always wanted to do. Uh, you look at trucks. There are hours where trucks are able to – in New York, for example, where trucks are able to make deliveries and there are hours when they're not. 
And they do that for the sake of keeping the streets open so that as hard as it is to drive in New York, at least you can, in theory at least, uh, get around. Uh, and so I can see I, I can see that these uh, these limits on number of cars and particularly on a minimum wage for uh, Uber and Lyft drivers uh, is a good thing and will stand up. So uh, we'll see how that works. But the first city, New York City, to do so yesterday. You know, one other thing I, uh, this morning to, to clear the air. Um, if you listen to Donald Trump and to Jeff Sessions, you would think that we are being overrun by people at the border, right? Donald Trump always says, our laws are a joke. People laugh at us. We're, we're losing our country. If we don't build this wall, there'll be, there'll be no more America. Uh, this is a crisis of the greatest order ever, ever, ever. We're just being overrun, right, by, this, by these millions and millions of people coming across the border. Um, well, the immigration officials yesterday released the latest numbers on how many people are across the border. Okay, so this puts us in perspective. Uh, in July, last month, there were 39,953 people apprehended at the border. Okay, round it off. 40,000 in July. In June, there were 43,000. So it actually went down last month from June. Never heard Donald Trump say that, right? Now, again, I want to put it in perspective. In the 1990s, when we really had a serious problem at the southern border, there were one million people a month crossing the border illegally. Got that in perspective? Just, I, just, I just want you to remember that. Every time you hear Donald Trump talk about how serious a problem we have with illegal immigration at the border. And by the way, those 40,000 people didn't all stay here who came across last month. Um, some of them, of course, were deported. Uh, some of them are seeking asylum. Uh, God knows where all of them are. But it was the total was 40,000 compared to one million when I was in California and I first started dealing with this issue, or uh, both when I was working in the state legislature, uh, when I was working in Los Angeles as a television commentator, and this was a huge issue for California. Of course, it wasn't just California, but the entire southern border. Uh, but in perspective, that kind, of, that kind of shows you how Donald Trump has been able to exaggerate, inflame, um, just stir up and throw gasoline on the fire of this immigration issue that compared to you think any anybody else could look at this and say boy have we done a good job of securing our border we have reduced the number of people coming across the border illegally because of more border guards because of um, better surveillance um, more agents down there whatever we've reduced the number of people from 1 million a month down to 40,000 a month. But no, because this is such a political red meat issue for Donald Trump, he, he does just the opposite, stating that this is the worst that we've ever seen at the border. It simply is not.
On the political front, um, got a little news yesterday from uh, about Congressman Chris Collins represents New York's 27th district, indicted yesterday by the uh, federal attorneys in New York with his son and with his son's prospective father-in-law for insider training, insider trading, securities fraud, charges filed against him. Uh, Chris Collins yesterday insisting a little news conference that he will be totally exonerated. I look forward to being fully vindicated and exonerated. And he says he's on the ballot. He's on the ballot for re-election, uh, and uh, he's not going anywhere. As I fight to clear my name, rest assured, I will continue to work hard for the people and constituents of the 27th Congressional District of New York, and I will remain on the ballot running for re-election this November. Uh, and he says, I never did anything wrong. I believe I acted properly and within the law at all times with regard to my affiliation with Nate. By the way, his Democratic opponent up there in the 27th, a guy by the name of Nate McMurray, says, oh, yeah, I mean, this is hardly news to me. I've been talking about this since the first day I got in the race. I got in the race because of this. I said, look, it, we can't have a guy representing us who's just trying to steal and cheat us. By the way, Chris Collins was already under investigation by the House Ethics Committee, which, of course, is never going to do anything against a fellow Republican. Uh, but he was under investigation by the House Ethics Committee on charges of insider training, trading. He was a largest shareholder in a pharmaceutical company. And the way this all came about, according to the federal prosecutors, get this. He was at the White House. He was at the congressional picnic this year when he gets a call from the head of this drug company, whatever the name, Innate, I think it was called, where uh, he's a majority shareholder. And the president of the company said, hey, we got some bad news. Um, This drug that we were in trials with this uh, one drug with the FDA, uh, and we didn't pass the test. So the drug's not going to be approved. Chris Collins immediately calls his son and said, dump this stock. His son calls, again, his prospective father-in-law, his fiancé's father, and and the two of them uh, conspired uh, on behalf of Chris Collins to dump all the stock. So this insider trading that the stock was going to fall because they failed the test. Once that word actually got out, of course, the stock would fall. They sold their stock ahead of it. Uh, that's insider trading. I don't care how you slice it. It's plain as day. It's plain as day. It is total insider trading. But here's what's interesting about Chris Collins, okay? Chris Collins mm, also happens to be the first member of Congress to endorse Donald Trump for president in 2016. By their friends, you shall know them. As several people pointed out yesterday, think about the people who have been charged with serious crimes around Donald Trump. They include his first campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski. Those uh, charges of uh, violence against a reporter were later dropped, but he was charged. His second campaign manager, Paul Manafort. His deputy campaign manager, Rick Gates. His national security advisor, Michael Flynn. His foreign policy advisor, George Papadopoulos. And now the first congressman to endorse him. Chris Collins. Again, by their friends, 
you shall know them, right? All I want to say, that's 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 an that's an impressive list of the people that Donald Trump surrounds himself with, is comfortable with, loves to hang out with. I think it says a lot about Donald Trump. Not, you know, not just a lot about Chris Collins. He he's able to sort of say, you know, these guys that he was in bed with politically, oh, these are just, you know, former acquaintances and nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. And so far, so far, yeah. that's been true. Right? But Chris Collins is one of the mo- I know you've seen him. I know that if you're, oh, yeah. you you've yeah. seen him on TV, he goes out there all the time as the number one Trump defender in the House. He shamelessly, shamelessly goes on TV all the time. and He and Ron DeSantis from Florida. Sure, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So they're out there constantly. They're out there all the time. And it's hard for Donald Trump to say that, like, he's not in bed with this guy. Yeah. This is his guy in the House. This is his spokesperson in the House. And he's a criminal. There he is, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and now, uh, still, uh, still taking a look at the uh, results of Tuesday's uh, primary elections and that special election out in Ohio, twelve um, in Kansas. It is still too close to call. The margin in Kansas is even, is a lot closer uh, than it is uh, even in Ohio's twelve, which is remember we as we said yesterday, seventeen hundred and fifty four votes. Uh, Chris Kobach, the Secretary of State now has a lead over incumbent Governor Jeff Collier. Uh, Kobach tells us how close it is. 191 votes. What an exciting night it was. What an exciting race. 191, but the governor says it ain't over till it's over. The difference is point zero 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 six. That is a very small amount, and there are outstanding thousands of votes, provisional ballots, and mail-in ballots that are to be counted for the first time. Uh, so those extra ballots have to be counted. Uh, <laughs> uh, the difficulty in Kansas is uh, that the person who's responsible for counting those uncounted, yet uncounted ballots is the Secretary of State of Kansas, who happens to be Chris Kobach. Uh, one would hope that Chris Kobach would recuse himself from the count. Uh, I would hope the governor would insist that Chris Kobach recuse himself from the count, uh, but at any rate. And by the way, however it turns out, I think here there's definitely going to be a recount. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, when you get to point zero 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 six, uh, nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, well, congratulations. Let's just move on. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Uh, we'll take a look at those. But there are thousands of ballots still outstanding, as there are still thousands of ballots outstanding in Ohio 12 as well. Danny O'Connor, the Democrat, has not conceded. Right. Troy Balderson really hasn't claimed victory, but Donald Trump has, of course. Donald Trump claiming victory and credit uh, for getting Troy Balderson elected. Uh, that could go either way, but the important point, again, to remember is that how, however it turns out, even if Balderson does win by the slimmest of margins, uh, it ain't over, really, because this is just a special election that lasts, that's only good until November when Troy Balderson and Danny O'Connor will uh, face each other again uh, uh, in the for the for a full term uh, a two-year term for for that uh, that congressional seat um, and the significance 
of Democrats coming so close in that seat really cannot be overstated. Uh, let's just think about this again. This is a ruby red district. This is a district that Donald Trump carried by 11 points. This is a district, however, that Troy Balderson, if he wins it as of election night, was ahead by 0.9 points, 0.9. So it went from a plus 11 Republican district in two years down to 0.9. But actually, it's worse for that. Uh, Trilby, whatever his first name was, who was the congressman who held that district and resigned, Uh, that's why there's a special election, he won the district two years ago by 36 points. So in two years, that Ohio 12, which is a safe, deep red, Republicans have held it for over 30 years. It went from plus 36 Republican to plus 0.9 Republican. I mean, that's a 35% point loss in two years, which indicates the trouble that Republicans have across the board nationwide in these what they should be safe districts. This should have been a layup for Republicans. And instead, they had to fight like hell, even bring the President of the United States in, and spend $5 million, trash Nancy Pelosi, do everything they could. They threw the kitchen sink in there. And if they win it, barely win it by less than one percentage point. So Charlie Cook, who's the best prognosticator, um, we, we've always said here in Washington, D.C., uh, here's here's why this has put the fear in the hearts of Republicans nationwide. Charlie Cook um, has, several years ago, uh, they divided, they identified all congressional districts in the country according to their partisan voter index. They call it their PVI. This gets this is this sounds like maybe a little too deep in the weeds, but very very significant. So Charlie Cook indicates, points out, that ever since Donald Trump took office, in every special election, Democrats have outperformed the PVI by eight and a half points in every special election since Donald Trump took office. And in order to win back the House, they have to outperform the PVI by four percentage points. So they're more than double, Democrats have shown so far, the strength they need in these safe Republican districts. Now, take it the next step. There are 68 Republican districts that are not even as safe as Ohio 12, meaning their PVI, Partisan Voter Index, is lower. And there are 119 congressional districts around the country, held by Republicans today, which have a lower Republican PVI than Ohio 12. 119. And out of 119, Democrats have to win only 23 to take back the House. So Donald Trump may be saying, oh, man, we got a red wave coming because I brought about a big victory uh, in Ohio 12, which, again, nobody else but Donald Trump is saying so far. We're We're still not really sure. But even if Troy Balderson barely squeaks out a win there. What happened in Ohio 12 has created, has caused shock tremors 
across the nation for the Republican Party. And, well, it should because these safe Republican districts, particularly with the suburbs around the cities where suburban women are sick and tired of Donald Trump and won't support the Trump Party anymore, are turning against him and voting for either not voting or voting for the Democrat. So, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of noise there uh, still coming out of uh, the results of Tuesday's election. So much to talk about. Yes. And what's going on with the Manafort trial? We're going to dive deeper into that. And uh, um, with uh, Diana Pilipenko, from who's, she's the associate director at the famous Moscow Project. We've talked to them before. She'll be joining us next. We'll take a quick break and be back with this Thursday edition of The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is on a Thursday, August 9, The Bill Press Show. We join you from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we are brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers. Yes, the great Iron Workers Union. Men and women of the Iron Workers under President Eric Dean, building our communities today and ready to rebuild our infrastructure tomorrow if Congress would only get off its butt and pass an infrastructure bill, uh, check out their website at ironworkers.org. We thank them for the support of the program. Salute their good work. And we welcome to the studio to talk more about the Manafort uh, investigation, Diana Pilipenko, I hope I got that name right, Associate Director with the Moscow Project. We'll find out more about that. Um, But, Diana, we've been at it for a little bit before you joined us. and wanted to check on our listeners and viewers. Peter? Yes, indeed. A couple of comments where you can find us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Just a quick comment from someone who listened to the podcast yesterday afternoon. Lou Kessler says, I absolutely love the show. You get the best guests. I appreciate your ability to communicate with them and get the best out of them. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And remember, again, as you mentioned earlier, the podcast goes up every single day. So if you can't catch us live when we're on in the mornings, you can listen all throughout the day and even catch up on old shows if if that's something that you're into. In terms of the news of the day, a couple of comments uh, here. Phil says, the so-called red wave might mean elected Republicans waving goodbye on their way out the door. Maybe that's what Donald Trump means when he tweets Red wave, the Republicans. By the way, the weirdest thing yesterday is he put out this cryptic tweet, five for five. Five for five. (laughs) Even, so the reporters who were up there in Bedminster (laughs) asked the White House, even the White House staff didn't know what the hell it meant. (laughs) Five for five. By the way, so I never go to Wendy's or Arby's, but is there like a menu deal or something like that? Five for five? That might be. That might be. That might somebody be. said it sounded like a fast food thing, right? It totally sounds like a fast food Well, thing. somebody else said, five for five. I can remember the names of all five of my kids. Oh, wow. Five yeah. for five. Well, he, we know he couldn't do that. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, on your the, the talking about Uber and the the stuff that was voted on in New York City. Uh, oh another, yeah, another person yeah. somebody comments. Uber, Lyft, etc. are a prime example of how laws always have to catch up with technology and innovation. Yes, I agree with that. If you have a comment, find us on Twitter at BP Show. Make sure you're following us there. You can chime in on any topic at any time. You got to say that uh, in terms of companies that have done. That have not done a good job in terms of their image and their brand, Uber would have to head the list. Those sure. have not done a good job, right? 
Sure. I mean, like compared that, like Apple, right, which has everybody, this is company that everybody loves, right? Uber, we've had a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. But I'm still a big Uber user. I keep pointing that out. <laughs> so I'm not saying I will not use them because I do, in fact. So where do we start? What's going on? Give us your read on the um, uh, the uh, Paul Manafort trial. It's hard to tell from a distance whether who's on trial there. You know, whether it's Paul Manafort or Rick Gates or the prosecution that gets get, keeps getting beat up by the judge. <laughs> that's man, that's an apt observation. Um, yes, yeah, so the uh, Paul Manafort's defense um, has done sort of a good job at undermining uh, the credibility of Rick Gates. Uh, that said, I still think. Uh, Gates was very effective in presenting um, evidence, and also his his testimony paints a very dark picture of Paul Manafort. And what we have, uh, what the trial has demonstrated thus far, is there is this pattern of fraudulent activity that both men has engaged in for many years. Uh, they received lots of money from abroad. Uh, much of it was not reported. Uh, to the IRS. And so, of course, there's where the tax evasion mm -hmm. allegations stem from, but there was also bank fraud. And this is very significant because these were two very senior individuals on Trump's campaign. And Rick Gates has continued on uh, when Paul Manafort left. Right. So, well, first, I'm gonna, I should have started here, but let me back up a little bit. So, tell us what is the Moscow Project? Right? <laughs> You're part of the Center for American Progress, yes. correct? Yes. Okay. And you are Associate Director for Anti-Corruption and Illicit Finance. Yes. So my background is in corporate investigations, and I joined the Moscow Project um, to look into financial uh, ties. Um, and so the Moscow Project is an initiative of the Center for American Progress, as you mentioned, and it's a project that looks very closely um, at all things uh, Trump and Russia in very simple terms. So his connections um, going back decades, um, his business ties, and this is where some of uh, the work and analysis that I do comes in. But we're very keenly observing the Mueller investigation, are trying to dig further into facts and uh, in trying to build out a bigger picture and provide information. So for the what's public. the connection between Manafort and Russia or Manafort and Trump Russia? Or, and is there any connection? Yes, with Manafort, there are significant connections. So to start with, something that's prime on everyone's mind is his work in Ukraine, specifically for a pro-Kremlin. I know that's a term that's used quite a bit in reference to the party of regions in Ukraine, but it's it's a Ukrainian party. Uh, it was the party of the former president uh, Yanukovych. Uh, they're very much aligned with the interests of the Kremlin and Russia. And in fact, uh, one of the reasons the government was ousted and Yanukovych specifically in 2014 was because instead of pivoting uh, to EU, uh, to the West, uh, they pivoted uh, more towards Russia mm -hmm. and trying to mm -hmm. integrate better there. And so Manafort has spent almost a decade uh, working for this party in Ukraine, and he was on the payroll of... Again, uh, pro sort of uh, Russian um, oligarchs and businessmen in Ukraine. These were individuals whose financial interests and businesses, uh, be they in mines uh, or manufacturing, was very were very much tied up uh, with the industrial complex. Um, and trade relations with Russia, for instance, are very important to them. 
So this, so Paul Manafort worked for this party for many years, but beyond that, he also has connections to um, individuals uh, directly from Russia. So somebody that, again, has come up in the context of Paul Manafort discussions is this uh, businessman oligarch named Oleg Deripaska. He's According to press reporting, he's the individual who originally introduced Manafort to the Ukrainians and kind mm. of got him his start there. Deripaska, um, he's deemed to be very close to the Kremlin. He was recently sanctioned by the Treasury Department. Um, and he and Paul Manafort have also engaged in business um, going back uh, many years. Uh, Manafort helped him invest his money in enterprises in Eastern Europe. And in the course of this, the investments didn't work out so well. And uh, in the end, Manafort owed him millions of oh, dollars. Right. He's the guy that yes. he owes all the money to. Yes, that he, <laughs> that he owns. And now, so Rick Gates has admitted on, tr- on the stand under mm-hmm. oath, right, that he, did you commit crimes? Yes, right? Mm-hmm. Did you knowingly commit these or whatever? Yes. Uh, so... He filed false reports with the IRS, mm-hmm. right? He lied to banks or whatever about how much money they actually had and to, to get more money for a loan, all this kind of stuff. Uh, so he's admitted that he, he broke the law. Does that make him more credible or less credible as a witness? Of course, he says he did it at Manafort's direction, right? Yes. But the fence seems to say you can't believe this guy because he admits he broke the law. Well, uh, that's... But he admits he broke the law for and with Paul Manafort. Yes, and this gets to the heart of the defense uh, and precisely what they're trying to do is to undermine Gates's credibility. However, he wasn't engaged in these activities. He would have no, uh, no information as to what Manafort was up to. So if he was side by side and kind of uh, doing well, fraudulent things with Manafort, who else would know better about what exactly transpired than Rick Gates? And so I don't, you know, t- perhaps I'm a biased observer, but I don't buy that argument. I think they've worked together for many years, and uh, Gates was his confidant, and he would know better than anyone else what Manafort was up to. What I find uh, strange about the argument is they do not deny that Paul Manafort committed crimes. Mm-hmm. They seem to say you can't believe Rick Gates' word because he committed crimes too. I so I I don't follow the logic. I mean, <laughs> and I, that's I, I think it reinforces the fact that Paul Manafort committed crimes by Rick Gates, his deputy, mm-hmm. acknowledging yes, I did, he did, we did it together. I did it at his direction, and certainly with his knowledge. Yes, precisely. And what's more, uh, the prosecution has presented a wealth of documented evidence about their activities and even email exchanges where it's quite clear that Manafort was very actively involved in some of the minutia of filing uh, financial um, documents with his accountants and kind of being deceitful in those practices. So Rick Gates, it's not just his word, it's also the, the hundreds, if not thousands of documents that are sort of backing up his narrative. So are there any ties between this? So even though this is Robert Mueller and his people who are conducting a prosecution here, Mm -hmm. uh, this is not like the New York attorney with Michael Cohen. This is Mueller himself, right? There's still people say, but this is a sort of a sideshow. This has nothing to do with the investigation into Donald Trump and alleged collusion 
and alleged um, obstruction of justice, that that's sort of the main event over here. Is there any link between those two, between what Manafort is charged with, Mm -hmm. that trial, and the ongoing investigation of Donald Trump? Or are they totally separate? I think it's misleading to think that um, Manafort, when in some of this activity he engaged in, uh, took place in a vacuum. Um, this is the what the trial achieves very well is painting of a picture of a man who was incredibly vulnerable when he joined the Trump campaign. His money, his income from the Ukrainian politicians has dried up. He was massively in debt, not only um, to the banks but also to somebody like Deripaska. And so he's in dire straits at the time he joins the campaign. He has this wealth of uh, connections that he's established. Um, and this is the same individual with, you know, think of all that background. And this is the same individual go- that goes into the meeting as the chair of the campaign. He goes into the June 9th meeting at the Trump Tower with that Russian government attorney, the extension of the mm-hmm. Russian state, to seek uh dirt on on their political opponent. And this is something that would be against our U.S. federal election laws, because you can't receive contributions, be they money or um, a thing of value contributions in kind from a foreign government or a foreign national. And so um, understanding the trial kind of helps set up um, in a way, it's almost like a prelude to some of the other things that I think we'll see unfold um, also with the trial in D.C. that's coming up in September. Plus, I think it's been pointed out that some of this illegal act, alleged illegal activity on Paul Manafort and Rick Gates' part continued while they were working for the Trump campaign. Yes, they yes. They were still making some decisions related to their the, finances. The loans, yes. Right. I think yeah. there was uh, some alleged activity that continued with Manafort. And but even also after Manafort left, Rick Gates yes, yes. remained with the campaign until the inauguration. Absolutely. Probably, through and the transition. Was, and he was very key uh, to the inaugural committee. And we know there are many questions about some of the donations to that committee and where the money went. And so he, this is somebody that was actively engaged there. And I think he himself has this week admitted that perhaps um, he submitted or sought reimbursement for things from the campaign that he wasn't supposed to have. So um, the story very much continued through um, well into a post-election. Yes. Um, As an outside observer just watching this trial, uh, it looks like Manafort, I mean, it looks like Mueller has a very strong case against Paul Manafort. Is that your read of it as well? Yes, and I think because the particular... And we haven't seen Manafort on the stand yet. (laughs) I think because the particular charges in this case are so well-defined and narrow... Um, I, they're presenting almost an airtight case. And and the judge, too, I think you've mentioned him earlier, he's been streamlining and moving the case along, and he wants to stay very much focused on just the specific set of charges in, in, in view, which are uh, bank fraud and tax evasion. And so I think uh, with... Uh, with those particular uh, charges, I think they've they've put together a pretty convincing case. Well, I wanted to ask you about the judge because what we hear a lot about the judge is a big article, uh, I think, in the New York Times this morning. It's not that he's yes, he's moving along, you know, and and it's move it has moved a lot faster than people thought, but he also seems to be so prickly and particularly against one of the the the, the lead Mueller prosecutor, Andres or whatever his mm-hmm. name is, right? 
So could the judge's surly attitude toward the prosecution blow this case for Mueller? There's been some concern, I think, uh, about the impact, sort of his uh, his he's, conduct and the way he interacts and the dynamic with the he's prosecution. He's constantly riding the guy and saying, you know, look at me when I talk to you, <laughs> you know. No, you don't say just, yeah, you say, yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's just... Yeah, so it, it's, there is definitely that concern uh, that this will somehow sway the, the jury. And uh, he's been very... Uh, keen to keep the trial apolitical, if you will, as much as that's possible, not mention terms like oligarchs or not reference the Yes, you, know, you the can't campaign. use the word oligarch, right. So um, it's it's hard to tell uh, what the impact will be um, on the jury, but hopefully the sort of the evidence that the prosecutors have presented will speak for itself and will kind of make the case. Now, uh, just as a, a little tangent here for a second, if you will indulge me, uh, so you're uh, associate director for anti-corruption and illicit finance. In terms of illicit finance, um, has Congressman Chris Collins come under your microscope? Uh, no. Who was indicted yesterday yes. for illicit finance, <laughs> otherwise known as insider trading? Not not quite yet. I've been very focused on uh, Manafort, Michael Cohen, okay, too. He's, he's facing how some charges. Your but mandate, how broad your mandate Yes, was. I think we're, we're trying to, because there's already with the Russia investigation, there is just such a wealth of characters and to, to kind of pay attention to and kind of understand their stories and what has happened. That Not yet, but he's definitely come up uh, quite a bit this week. Uh, and uh, not that he's has any connection with uh, Paul Manafort or Rick Gates, so far as we know, but he does have a real connection with Donald Trump. He was the first member of Congress to endorse Donald Trump for president, and so he he's added to the list of Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, Michael Flynn, George Papadopoulos, yes, uh, uh, who have who, close to Donald Trump, who have been charged with serious crimes, yes. and that just, just happened yesterday. And it, it's something that helps demonstrate uh, a pattern that we've observe, been observing uh, in, in terms of individuals that Donald Trump has worked with, uh, has paired with, be it in business or in politics and in, in the course of the campaign. Yeah. There's this very troubling pattern of the sort of, I don't know, ethical makeup and what these individuals are willing to do um, to kind of get ahead. And that's, that's something that we're... Uh, this individual kind of fits very neatly into that overall. Uh, Paul Manafort moves from Alexandria, Virginia into Washington, D.C. next month for his second trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what are those charges? So that trial will focus specifically uh, mainly on his work, um, his lobbying work on behalf of a foreign government here in the U.S. without properly registering. So this is relates to the uh, FARA uh, violations that have been allegations that have been brought against him. It may also um, deal with uh, witness tampering. Um, he That's why he was put in jail, because he attempted to contact um, mm-hmm. certain potential witnesses. So that may come up in that trial as well. But yes, yeah, so we'll focus very specifically on the foreign, foreign lobbying. Work. So he was lobbying here on behalf of foreign governments without registering as a lobbyist or without telling people Yes, whom for, he was representing yes, and the money he was yes, yeah, specifically was for for the Ukrainian government in this case for a decade, as we've mentioned. Right um, now, the back to the uh, the main event, if you will, of, of the of, of of the Mueller investigation. Um, looking at um, and this may not again be your immediate jurisdiction, 
Um, but the back and forth yesterday uh, continued between the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, um, and the special counsel about whether or not the president would sit down with the special counsel. Donald Trump keeps insisting he wants to meet with Mueller. That it's, it's almost like he's convinced if he just sits down with Robert Mueller, he can convince him there's nothing to this, and he should <laughs> drop the entire investigation because Donald Trump is so one-on-one, so convincing, right? <laughs> Uh, perhaps that's what he's trying to make people believe. But I don't if anything, if we learned anything from Donald Trump is we can't take him at his word. And so while I'm not an attorney, I, I, I just don't find it very credible. Um, the this this dynamic between him and his his lawyers, I think they're probably afraid that he will perjure himself if he does sit down with uh, with Mueller. Um, and uh, so this is a, a real danger, I think, in their eyes. Uh, whereas, and yeah. so this is very convenient for him to say that, oh, absolutely, I want to do sure. this, but they will prevent it. This is theater, in essence. He, yeah. He's, Donald Trump says that, meanwhile, his lawyer. Look, any lawyer who would allow Donald Trump to sit down with Robert Mueller should be fired, <laughs> right? Because that that's, that's the kiss of death. Well, it's like, you know, they, they talk about it flat out. They say, like, it would be a perjury trap. Yeah. Like, they right. just acknowledge that. They use those exact words. So you, you use the right word, theater, right? I mean, to, to just as a reflection of how much of a theater, theatrical production this is, Rudy Giuliani's comments yesterday came in a, on a talk radio show. Mm-hmm. He, as a guest on the talk radio show of Jay Sekulow, <laughs> who is Donald Trump's other attorney, so Donald Trump's two attorneys, Rudy Giuliani and Jay Sekulow, are talking on Jay Sekulow's radio show Unbelievable. about their job representing Donald Trump. First of all, both of them should just shut up, right? <laughs> One would think, but no, they don't. So Rudy, Rudy says, uh, yeah, of course we're trying to work out some terms here. Honestly, he's got all the information that he needs. Oh, yeah, the interview will provide nothing in addition to what he what he already has. So he can write his report. And we have been, we've been willing to profit. In other words, we've been willing to say this is the answer he will give. And we'll be stuck with it. Right. So what Rudy says, if I, if I hear correctly, what he's saying is we'll give you the answer. There's no need for us to come in and hear your questions. We'll just give you the answers ahead of time, and that'll take care of it. <laughs> right? Isn't that what he's saying? Yeah. It's a safe bet, a written, written which, statement. <laughs> which is insane, right? We know what questions you're going to ask, so we don't have to have a meeting. We'll just give you the answers. I mean, you know, try that next time. Any students out there, try that next time. <laughs> it's time for your college exams. Right? I learned it from watching the president. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't have to come and take this exam. I'll just send you my answers. <laughs> what do I anticipate your questions are going to be? Uh, and then Rudy says, yeah, but th- look, this thing is going to be over soon. In fact, I remind you, today is August 9. It's about time that it, that it ends. I also think, and I hope the special counsel is as sensitive to it as we are, we do not want to run into the November elections. So you back up from that. This should be over with by September 1st. Yeah, September 1st. Chris, he's been saying it's going to be over like they thought yeah. it was going to be over last Thanksgiving, right? So it's a very complex investigation. I think. I think it's it's 
silly to think that we'll wrap up so soon. All right. So the way it may have to end, and it's sort of, I think Robert Mueller holds all the cards right now, is if they don't volunteer to meet, he could issue a subpoena. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you're not an attorney, neither <laughs> am I. But what's your read? If Mueller issues an attorney, just about 15 seconds here, would could could the president ignore the subpoena, refuse to... Well, his his attorney, Sekulov, has said that I will take this all the way to the Supreme Court. So this will be, perhaps this is what people are referring to as the constitutional crisis that we'll have to face and right. uh, many unknowns. All the way to the Supreme Court, which is one more reason why Brett Kavanaugh cannot be confirmed or should not be confirmed to the Supreme Court ever, but certainly not before the end of the year. Hey, Diana, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Uh, follow this at the, the moscowproject.org. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, 55% of Americans say that race relations have gotten worse under Donald Trump. Yeah, no kidding, with a racist in the White House, of course. Great to see you today. What do you say? It is uh, Thursday, August 9, The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. Booming out to you coast to coast with all the news of the day. And there is, as always, uh, a lot to talk about. Never a dull news day in the Trump world. That's uh, one thing that we can either be grateful for or regret. Um, But there is uh, the ongoing trial of Paul Manafort we're keeping on top of. Just across the river here in Alexandria, Virginia, Rick Gates wrapping up his testimony yesterday. And the trial moving on faster than anybody expected. Uh, and uh, we still haven't seen Paul Manafort on uh, on the stand. That's going to be uh, interesting. Meanwhile, Donald Trump tweeting away up in New York, taking credit for uh, uh, launching a red wave, uh, he calls it, uh, even though the five races that he was involved in, two out of the five still haven't been called. They're too close, so a little premature self-congratulations there on the part of Donald Trump. Lots of news to uh, talk about, including the latest on Donald Trump's war against the media and at least one member of the media, Alex Jones, being tossed off a lot of the social media networks. Christina Lopez is deputy director of extremism. How about that? At the Great Media Matters for America, joining us in studio. (laughs) Hi, Christina. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here today. We've got lots to talk about, and we look forward to hearing from you and your comments on the news of the day on Twitter, at BP Show. And we'll get right back to it. But first, 
All right, just a couple of other stories making news. So, you're a big movie guy. We like watching movies. I do. You like watching the Oscars? You watch the Oscars? You like just keeping up with them? I don't watch the Oscars. Rarely watch the Oscars. I never watch the whole show, but I usually, I always want to see the opening. Sure. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the mean, ratings for the Oscars in the recent years have not been great. They no admitted kidding. They because the show is too damn long. Well, they Five are, hours or whatever. They are going to try and fix that. Yesterday, they announced they're going to make some changes to the Academy Awards. First of all, yes, they want to make it shorter. They said they want to have it be a three-hour broadcast, not a minute longer. And so some of the things that they're going to do, they're going to start doing some of the presentations, some of the awards, during the commercial breaks. So when they go to break, they'll do some of the lesser-known awards yeah. uh, and, and try and speed the whole process up. However, at the same time, they are adding a big award. Popular movie. Best popular movie. So, in other words, the whole point here is... The one that sells the most tickets? That's it. Well, they're not going to use that criteria. They're just going to... The, the best movie that had a large release. Because a lot of the movies that win Best Picture... They don't necessarily have large release. They're smaller movies. They have smaller budgets. But let's say like the Black Panther, which is now the third highest grossing movie of all time, it would not necessarily get nominated for Best Picture, but it will be nominated almost certainly for Most Popular Movie. So they've added a, 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 an award, uh, and, they're t and they're moving some other things around so that they can get this uh, broadcast back to a more manageable time. I don't like that new. I category. hate it. I hate the new category. No. I hate the you new know, category. I think it. Uh, I, I think it sinks the the level of quality. Yep. All, all, overall, I agree a hundred percent. And yeah. like, look, you know, this is certainly a sellout to studios. I think, but like, how can you have a best picture, but then also a best, no, most popular no. picture? It seems like no. it would are be you, pretty hard. You, to uh, quantity or quality? What do you? You got to pick. You got to choose one. Right. You got to choose one. But I guess this is what they're banking on because. Again, they they did acknowledge yes, yesterday when they talked about it, like, there is a problem. People are not watching for, for uh, uh, watching the, sh the Academy Awards the way that they used to. They could so. cut it down to two hours. Yeah, they could totally cut it down to two hours. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with who the uh, host is, too. Sure. Yeah. Bring back Billy Crystal. <laughs> there you go. I'll take Billy Crystal every day, every time. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. We are the enemy of the American people. Well, yeah, that's what Donald Trump says over and over and over uh, again. Uh, no, we're not. We're just doing our job, telling the American people the truth. That's what Donald Trump can't stand because uh, the word truth uh, is not in his vocabulary. What do you say, folks? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the program on this Thursday, August 9, 2018. Great to see you wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours. We're there right alongside of you online, on the radio, and on television, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV and joining you on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago 
booming out all over the greater Chicago area. Welcome, welcome to the program with lots to uh, talk about. And we do want to focus on the media this particular half hour uh, and many aspects of it. Um, Christina Lopez is uh, with Media Matters for America, where she particularly keeps her eye on um, some of the more extreme um, elements of the media as the deputy director of extremism. I didn't know such a title existed at Media Matters. There you go. Someone has to do it. (laughs) No, exactly. And there's lots to look at on that. Probably the most extreme of all, let's just jump right into, is Alex Jones, who is certified to be insane, isn't he? So I wouldn't say he's the most extreme. Really? By by any measurable um, or quantifiable measure, he is definitely one person that has a lot of reach. And if we're going to talk about his reach, we have to talk about the complicity that for a long time came from actually big tech. Because it's one thing to provide with a soapbox to every unhinged conspiracy theorist out there. It's a very different one to give them a megaphone. And this is what a lot of the algorithms on uh, social media platforms were doing with the messages spread by Alex Jones. Basically giving them amplification by adding momentum to those things that were already controversial or that were already provocative enough that started getting a lot of pickup. And so the algorithm would just boost them so that they would reach larger and larger audiences. And that's for um, the longest time how Alex Jones profited from from going uh, further and further into um, more extreme rhetoric. And this is how we got to a point where um, on air, he was um, mimicking pretty much shooting special counsel Robert Mueller. Any platform that um, you're on will have on its terms of service some prohibitions around uh, inciting to violence or threatening violence. And this is this is pretty much the, a literal um, imagery of, of threatening violence. Well, I was, was going to say, you know, the, the, one of the things with Alex Jones, I'm a little guilty of, of this or have been in the past of. I, I always sort of uh, was interested in what Alex Jones did, right? How because far he would go. How far he would go, almost in the sense of like a shock jock or like one of these agents of chaos, right? And when you really actually look at some of the things that he said in the past, and especially with regards to how this past uh, presidential election turned out, uh, it forced me to look at him in a different light. Well, completely. He's- Okay, I mean, I, uh, but I, I don't follow him. I've never listened to him. But like uh, you, <laughs> yeah, right? But okay, Sandy Hook was fake, was phony, right? I mean, that's one of his. Char- that is one of the ways that he would, uh, that his conspiracy theories would have actual real consequences. Um, parents of the victims of Sandy Hook were are still harassed and and on the streets based on on people who were inspired by this stuff that Alex Jones said. And but this this wasn't even what prompted the platforms to kick say, him well, off. Yeah, what else has he said or done that's so he extreme? Was, he was also um among the people claiming that 9/11 was an inside job, that it was oh, um part of the globalist conspiracy. Yeah. There's there's a lot of what he says that just as Peter said, some of it uh goes for the shock value, but a lot of it is undermining uh, truth is undermining reality is presenting to um, pretty much the 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 Donald Trump base and and his following an alternate reality that they can use to 
explain away all the things that aren't really going their way with the administration, right. like the Russia investigation. Right, but haven't there always been sort of these extreme voices? It used to be when I first got started in, in talk radio, you know, the overnight black helicopter crowd, right? Um, right. They were nuts too, right? But they had their following, but they were all sort of Looney Tunes and people kind of knew it. But there was a place for them, even if it was overnight. Isn't there? This is the thing, though. Um, there was a place for them, but you wouldn't expect them to have influence and power uh, inside of uh, the administration. And one of the things that one of the reasons why Alex Jones uh, is is scary in a way is because, um, yes, he's an enhanced conspiracy theorist. But at the same time, uh, a lot of people credit him with having something to do with Joe Arpaio getting a pardon with the administration. And so what he says and, and who Donald, listens to Donald him Donald Trump appear on his matters. program? He did when he was back when he was a candidate Venice, and, and candidate. said that yeah. you, your, your reputation is amazing. And so you have a president that called this guy who traffics in conspiracy theories, who uses the worst kind of language to refer to minorities, to, is extremely anti-Muslim in his rhetoric. Um, you have the president of the United States back when he was a candidate tell him that your reputation is amazing. And so this is the kind of thing that is worrisome. Yes, you could claim that there's always um, extremism, extremist voice in the spectrum and that there's always an audience for that. But the problem is when it's social media platforms providing amplification for these sort of voices. And so and, they're no longer right. in the niche. They're more likely in the middle, and, and they become mainstream. So the platforms, we're talking Facebook, Google, Amazon, right, who said? Uh, Facebook, Google, and we're talking uh, YouTube I'm sorry, as okay. well. By the right. way, by the yes. way, we were talking about Alex Jones and, and the, the virtual problem that he has in terms of these online tech giants. It, it's important to remember that of the real world consequences. Just yesterday, Huffington Post put out a story about how Alex Jones' lawyer is seeking to make Sandy Hook parents' home addresses public. And so there's it's one thing, it's obviously very bad, but it's one thing to harass online or to push these conspiracy theories on your radio, internet show, right? Uh, it's another thing to take it out into the real world where you now have parents of murdered children who have to install security systems in their homes mm -hmm. and constantly look over their shoulders because you have a madman out there instructing his people to harass parents who lost their children in a massacre. It, it, That's it, who he is. It's hard to think of anything more disgusting. And the reason he's doing that is because right now he's facing lawsuits because that come from his him. parents. Of right. course, because of the real consequences okay that his unhinged conspiracy theories brought to real life people. And right. the, the issue is, it's not, there's still space for Alex Jones. Like he, he hasn't been shut down. Like people can still go to his, out, to his website and go to his conspiracy theory outlet. No one is putting duct tape over his mouth. That's, that's the thing. And, and this is being play, this is playing out in right wing media and the way that right wing media is exploiting this issue is to sort of plant this false narrative of censorship that doesn't really exist. No, I've heard that argument that um, you know there's a this is a First Amendment issue uh, that liberals have better be careful rejoicing in the fact that Alex Jones was thrown off these platforms because they're 
uh, endorsing censorship. That this is uh, that he's got a right, as as disgusting and despicable as what he says is, that he has. The First Amendment, right, just like all the rest of us. I think the First Amendment is too important to manipulate it by interpreting in a way in which it means that everyone has a right to profit from the crazy things they say. The The First Amendment does not include or a, a right, right to, to a platform or does not include a an, an obligation on third parties to provide you with a platform that will amplify your message to, to more so that it reaches out to more people than, than you're actually getting on uh, your own. In other words, he has a right to say whatever he wants to say, but CB, CBS or ABC have a right not to put him on their air, right? They do. Facebook has a right not to put him on their social platform. And and people can still go and look right. for what he's saying because that's the thing. No one is tampering with his First Amendment. But for some reason... And this is very important, and hopefully media will help public make the distinction between um, what what the First Amendment entails, and it's so important, and the way that it's being manipulated by right-wing media. And and it's it might become a campaign issue, considering that Alex Jones is out there begging Donald Trump for help and with the platforms and begging for uh, congressional Republicans to make this a midterm election issue. And and it's very important for people to distinguish between First Amendment and right for a platform. It's as if you were out there asking for everyone uh, to amplify your message, as if that was included among your First Amendment rights. Uh, Christina Lopez here with us from Media Matters, mediamatters.org, a great organization uh, founded uh, by my good friend David Brock years ago. I've been to Media Matters many times. We've done many things over the years together. Uh, and it's it's amazing. I mean, Media Matters, we didn't have this before Media Matters. It's our watchdog on the left of all the uh, sins committed in the name of media. Um, and if you go to Media Matters, they've got tons of people there who do nothing but listen, monitor right-wing radio, right-wing television. Uh, I always say they listen to Rush Limbaugh so we don't have to. But more importantly, then they correct the, the, the they, they expose the lies and correct the mistakes, and not just correct the mistakes; these are outright lies, and put it up there on their website uh, and tell the truth um, in response to all of those lies. So check out uh, mediamatters.org, org, um, uh, an organization that we depend on a lot. Uh, so I, I really value your your great work, and this is one aspect of it, for the most extreme voices of the media that you're right. keeping track of. Now. Um, I know we could talk about Alex Jones all morning, but there are other conspiracy theories out there. The one that that I find baffling, and I didn't even know about it until Tampa a week or so ago, these people in the Tampa rally with Q signs. They're just like the letter Q, and suddenly everybody's right. supposed to know what that means. So it's it's QAnon. Q anon. Yeah. 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 It's it's the new conspiracy theory that's that's becoming mainstream among the the Make America Great Again part of the internet. This actually started way back in October 2017 and it came out of um a pretty innocuous you would say comment from Donald Trump who said this is the calm before the storm and that was interpreted um by his following as something was brewing, something was coming up. So 
it's it's still a question why, who why, is this person? What does Q anon stand so for? So Q um is a poster on the internet that started on message boards that are anonymous. It started on 4chan and now it has uh migrated to 8chan which is even more anarchic and has even less controls. Um and basically it's anon from anonymous cuz yeah, it's an anonymous okay. poster. And this anonymous poster started um pushing out the the narrative that they were a an official within the Trump administration that has a, a high security clearance, the Q security clearance, mm-hmm. and that because of that they are they they know of all the secret plans that to- Donald Trump has behind the scenes to kneecap the de- deep state and uncover a supposed existing uh, ring of pedo of pedophilia. Um, in which powerful celebrities and um, democratic politicians are involved. So this is kind of a, uh, a stir fry from all the conspiracy theories that we saw becoming popular in the is 2016 this, campaign, uh, Pizzagate and that sort of thing. I was going to say, is this more um, Pizzagate? But it's 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 stir fried into this um, conspiratorial sort of behind the scenes um, intelligence, secret government uh, strategizing. So so it's. It's basically this is really Pizzagate it's with so far a facelift. The problem is that it has a lot these of people, people that just, believe it. They and show up at the rallies with these. They show up at the rallies. They they have now taken it into the real world. And you, these what, are you like have the people, 9-11 people. Remember when we yeah we we used to get calls from these people when we were back taking calls yeah all the all the time and we just hang up on them with 911 truthers 911 truthers right but now you have people who are seem so innocent <laughs> 911 truthers seem so innocent compared to QAnon but also oh, Peter's these, nostalgic now now they're right. showing up but that this is happening at presidential rallies with the president of the United States and, and by the way Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked specifically about this and and just said oh well it's this is freedom of speech they get to say these things because of freedom of speech. Didn't hmm. decry it. Didn't distance the administration. Or didn't say from we it. don't believe didn't it. Didn't say it, we didn't believe it. It will become increasingly a problem, and 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 the and part of the reason is because it's in, it's already inspiring extremists to do things in the name of QAnon. Uh, we had a man who used uh, a a car to block a bridge close to the Hoover Dam um, in protest hoping that a memo would be released and this was connected to a conspiracy theory he was armed and he cited QAnon as the inspiration for why he was doing what he was doing we all remember what happened with Pizzagate where we had an, a, a shooter yeah, yeah. go into into the restaurant to self-investigate it's a family restaurant so we do have um, evidence that these things even though they, they seem unhinged and very out there they do inspire people and they do inspire people to do things in the real world that have actual consequences. And this is why there is some responsibility um, specifically on the people who are uh, benefiting from this conspiracy theory. Donald Trump is benefiting from this conspiracy theory and having these followers show up at his rallies. It's given his base something to believe in, to kind of explain away the things that aren't going well in their administration, to think that behind the scenes there's something, that they're winning at something, and they do believe that Oh, he's cracking down on on pedophiles, and and there's no evidence to substantiate that. But they can interpret away any news event um, through the super vague platitudes that this Q anonymous person is posting on the internet. But remember, 
Donald Trump is president largely because he led a conspiracy theory for five years. Correct. The birther birther movement, movement, which has as much. And who gave him platform for that? Fox and Friends every Monday. Yeah. If you remember that 20 minutes of president, president. Well, back then, Donald Trump calling in to say thanks with zero pushback. Right. But, I mean, that was a, a conspiracy theory as wacky as QAnon in the sense. I mean, zero, zero, exactly. zero evidence. And he kept it going for five years. Alex right? Jones was also a big QAnon pusher until the QAnon crowd turned on him <laughs> because he started getting criticized. And then he said, well, QAnon has actually been compromised. Uh, the, the real <laughs> people who were behind it, uh, they, they're not there anymore. He actually... Alex Jones assigned uh, a specific correspondent to the beat. It was Jerome Corsi, who's who's also a big birther, oh, if you remember. Oh, God. Him. Jerome Corsi is one of he the worst. He was on the QAnon beat. Really? Yeah, for Good for weeks on, on end. And Corsi's would... uh, the um, Swift Boat guy. Yes. Too. Yeah. Yes. He's, sort of... he, he's had his hands on a oh, lot yeah. of terrible things. Oh, yeah. No. So totally. he went all in on QAnon, and then when he became burned because the QAnon crowd started uh, criticizing him from profiting from the movement, basically he was trying to use the space to sell his new book. Um, he turned on them too. So it's so so it's incited a lot of drama. But yeah. it besides all of that, it is really something that everyone should be worried about because it, it has real consequences and people like. Uh, Roseanne Barr are amplifying it and putting it out there. It's significant that Sarah Huckabee Sanders wouldn't just say, no, this is nuts. Of course, we don't, you know, no. Yeah, yeah, you know, these people can do whatever they want, but we, we're not, we don't believe that, right? Whatever. She wouldn't dismiss that at all. Of course, she also would not say that the White House press corps are not enemies of the American people, given the opportunity to do so. She refused to say, no, I don't believe reporters are enemies of the American people. Um, but she probably would have lost her job if she had said that. Yeah, she, uh, she also, in that same press conference, talked about how she was the most persecuted oh, yes, right. press secretary in the history of histories, which she said from the podium of the James Brady briefing room. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hello. Right. If you want to look, you don't have to look that far to find she, another press secretary, press secretary that gave up who, a little bit more for their job. Uh, you mentioned, uh, Christina, before we came on the other, that you were there's some new conspiracy that popped up this week. Yes, that, if or, you remember uh, um, PizzaGate and how damaging it was. <laughs> yes, we started seeing yesterday evidence of a new conspiracy theory that is starting to take hold among the same QAnon types, and it's hard actually uh, the hashtags that are kind of labeling that conversation are taking off on Twitter. And this is something that um, we are documented, not not with um, any intention of amplifying it further, but we're documenting it to show the responsibility that tech platforms have, because this is a conspiracy theory that came out of a YouTube video that is still up there, that is still gaining traction, over 60,000 views, and that continues to, to go around on the internet, in which the craziest things are said unsubstantiated, um, this time around accusing a very popular donut shop in Portland, Oregon of being a front for child trafficking. Um, oh, this is... It's, it's Pizzagate a recycled. Pizzagate. It's Donutgate. Um, but you're starting to see it go viral on the MAGA sections of the internet. And already it's it's 
translating into the real world because on message boards like 4chan, um, there are actual active campaigns uh, where people are, uh, there's a call out for people to print out flyers and put them all over Oregon, pretty much just tainting and smearing the reputation of this donut shop. What what recourse what would the, the world? No, I mean, on. just what is going on? What recourse would the owner of this donut shop have? I mean, and look what happened to Beatsgate. That could have been, unfortunately, the guy fired into the ceiling there. I guess right, but right. you know, he got mowed down. God knows how many people. I mean, that 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 really puts anybody, the the employees of this of this shop, uh, the owner, any customers who are in there at jeopardy. Like you, Real like, risk. like you said, there's always going to be uh, conspiracy theories, and there's always going to be the conspiracy theorists who do this as a hobby, and they will have an audience. But it is social media, and it is the tech platforms what have allowed oh. them to amplify these messages. The potential for amplification has never existed. Inspire like people who who get to act act on the, these things and take them into the real world, and that's where this becomes concerning. And it does present a lot of responsibility for tech platforms because they're also allowing um, conspiracy theorists to get profit from this. Because the, the further they they reach, the, the more people watch their video, there is some monetary incentive for them to create it. Mm -hmm. uh, YouTube, mm -hmm. for example, has in place this feature where you can um, live stream and people can chat. Your audience can chat in something called Super Chats. And if they want their message to be highlighted in the conversation, they can pay. So you have people paying $5 or $10 to have some racist message pop up and, and be amplified to the entire audience. So not only the content creator uh, gets incentivized to say things that are very out there to get an audience riled up and to get an audience commenting on, on the live stream, they also are profiting from saying the sort of thing that actually has real dangerous consequences in the real world. So right. it does beg the question of whether tech is doing a responsible job in amplifying these things. Uh, and meanwhile, we face the uh, uh, specter this weekend in Washington, D.C., uh, one year after Charlottesville of Unite the Right moving from Charlottesville, Virginia, to the National Mall Right. this weekend. We're going to have okay. it in our backyards. Right. I mean, talk about a weekend of uh, hate talk, right, and, and, and the worst of America uh, with the KKK and the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis and the racists uh, marching on the National Mall under the banner Unite the Right. There's, there's also a lot of responsibility for media to cover this and avoid both sideism. And, yeah. and this, is a, yes. this is a tendency that is very dangerous in which – you know, they, they tend to fall into the rhetorical um, defense that Donald Trump put out there last year uh, about white supremacists claiming right. that they were bad people on both sides when or very you know, fine consider, people on, on, among them. Exactly. Yeah. And and when, when what this needs is just radical condemnation because it shouldn't be acceptable. Hate speech should not have a place. And there we're going to have this rally, hopefully with no violent consequences. Um, but if we learned anything from last year is that both sideism doesn't do any favors to your audience. Your audience needs to know who these people are, what they actually want and what they go out there for. What they're actually protesting is diversity. They're protesting um, 
multiculturalism. They're protesting immigration and they're protesting stuff, things that are cornerstone in this country. And it that sort of hate speech shouldn't have a place in society. And sadly, it's grown and it's gotten um, and it's been emboldened because they are now able to reach larger audiences through social media. And that's how they've organized. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got my answer to this rally this weekend. I'm leaving town. I'm going out of town. I don't know. It's the only. But I'd be tempted to go down there, I'm afraid, and get in trouble if I were in town. I just hope nobody shows up. But that's a, <clears throat> that's a wild dream. Well, Christina, you got your hands full. You got lots to keep up with. There's a lot going on. Good yeah. show. Good, good, uh, good work there at Media Matters. Again, it's mediamatters.org. Check it out uh, and be part of the movement there. And thanks for coming in, Christina. Pleasure to be and here. And a good friend, Matt Lazo. I haven't seen him in a while. He'll be here to uh, take us through all the rest of the news of the day as we wrap up here on this Thursday, August 9. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. All right, Thursday, August 9, here we go, the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., capital of the free world, um, and our studio right here on Capitol Hill. Well, we're brought to you today by the uh, Laborers' Union, the members of the Laborers' Union under President um, Terry O'Sullivan. Layuna Builds America is a website. Check it out. The great men and women of the Laborers Union uh, building a better America. That's again their website, LayunaBuildsAmerica.org. And here in studio with us, uh, he is a contributor to uh, Rolling Stone. He is a public radio reporter, and he's a professor. <laughs> Matt Laszlo. Hello, Matt. Nice Thanks for to having see me you. back. What's going on, man? Living the dream. Aren't we all? Yeah. Only this time, it's not 420, so I didn't bring a joint. That's yes, right. Of course, yes, I, you did. <laughs> Don't lie and say you didn't bring a joint. <laughs> he doesn't walk around without one. Right, right. right. You, yeah. We haven't seen you since 420. Matt is our, uh, is our uh, he, he's our go-to guy on 420, of course. Of course. Because you've been following the pot wars. Um, oh, yeah. Right. You know what? We talk about the Mendocino Complex fire. Hmm. It is the largest fire in California's history. Uh, consuming an area already the size of Los Angeles. Hmm. Uh, it is far, far, far from being contained. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, but I know Mendocino County well, and the number one crop in Mendocino <sighs> County. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. No. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I wonder what oh, the yeah, smoke Mendocino in the air. Mendocino is... Yeah, of course, sure. Right, yeah, I, just, right. I hadn't even thought about that. But just think of the thousands of acres no. of pot that's been destroyed. And is most of that illegally grown or um Well not now in California. Yeah. Right. But I, I mean I if... don't know whether yeah. they have to have then a, a license right. to grow after the initiative passed, but now that pot is the recreational pot is legal in yeah. California, I think these pot farms are okay. Most or, of I mean, them legal. But well, I actually, they were not Well I wonder until if that's gonna have ago. an uptick in um prices. Well, no, for the cartels, because cartels have been losing out on uh, business because of legalization. And if the legal crop burns up, that could be really bad uh, down at the border and stuff. Saying, these, yeah. re- these remote areas of Mendocino County, hmm. uh, that that was uh, the heartland of the... Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I hadn't even thought about that, but duh. Yeah, wow. That's, man. 
You remember that time so, that someone so gave you some of Mendocino's finest while you were out there, right? That was actually Humboldt County. Oh, Humboldt, Humboldt oh. County. Humboldt County, forgive me. Is that the me. stuff you brought on the plane? Another, mm-hmm. another, <laughs> another great byproduct yes. of California's Humboldt County is the weed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. right. There's still some redwoods in Humboldt, but the, <laughs> that too. under the redwoods, that too. Good, provides good shade for the pot, for the pot, <laughs> for the pot plants. Yeah. Oh, man. So um, a buddy of yours yesterday got some uh, bad news. Uh, Congressman Chris Collins, <laughs> poor guy, poor guy from um, from up in New York State, New York's twenty seven. He uh, had a little news conference yesterday. So Chris Collins was um, charged by the federal federal attorneys in New York on um, base insider trading, hmm. securities fraud, insider trading. Uh, the story was they claim he was at the White House. I love this <laughs> at the White House at the congressional picnic. Oh yeah. He gets a call from the head of this pharmaceutical company. He was a big-time investor in, I think, mm. the number of the, the largest yeah. shareholder, who said, uh, uh, things didn't go so well today. We were turned down by the FDA, FDA on this test for a new drug of ours, uh, which means, of course, the stock is going to plummet the next day. And so Chris Collins immediately gets on the phone to his son and says, sell our stock now, right? Get and out while we can. And there's footage of it. I guess CBS had uh, footage of him on the phone. Uh, Get out. It's beautiful. Yeah. From the White House. From there, because they had B-roll. They just sat yeah. up there watching people arrive for the picnic. Right. But uh, Collins yesterday having a uh, uh, had a little news conference saying, uh, totally innocent. I look forward to being fully vindicated and exonerated. Not only that, he says uh, he is up for re-election this year. Oh, yeah. He is running for re-election. And he said this doesn't change anything. As I fight to clear my name, rest assured, I will continue to work hard for the people and constituents of the 27th Congressional District of New York, and I will remain on the ballot running for re-election this November. So, Matt, you're around Congress a lot for Rolling Stone. Um, this guy was already being investigated by the Congressional Ethics Committee. Oh, yeah. On the same charge. Well, I mean, poor guy. You know, he just comes down poor here guy. to he just comes down here to drain the swamp. And, you know, he... It gets caught in this everyday occurrence for average Americans mm-hmm. <laughs> where you get a huge yeah, stock right. tip and you call <laughs> your son and say, dump, dump, dump. <laughs> what a guy. So him, like right outside the uh, house floor, this is probably six, eight months ago. Yeah, I actually looked it up on my phone yesterday. Um, I hear him talking stock trades in between house votes. <laughs> the guy is just shameless. He's no. off the house floor. Just casting a vote, you can't have your cell phone on oh, the House yeah, floor. Yeah. So he casts his vote, then he uh, talks stock trades around me and dozens of other reporters. He just feels like he's impervious. And I think that's a part of, um, you know, so one of Trump's biggest allies, first congressional endorser, and he was just out in front on him. But there's just something about this administration um, where they feel so impervious to the laws that they are not impacted at all. So you're right. He's the first member of Congress to endorse Donald Trump for president. Uh, Someone pointed out yesterday, so the people around Donald Trump who have been charged (laughs) with crimes, right? Uh, His first campaign manager. I don't know if we have that much time, Bill. uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) His first campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, those charges were Mm -hmm. later dropped, but he's charged, right? His second campaign manager. For assaulting a friend of mine, Michelle Fields. Yeah. His second campaign manager, Paul Manafort. Yep. His deputy campaign manager, Rick Gates, right? His national security advisor, Michael Flynn. His foreign policy advisor, George Papadopoulos. 
And now Chris Collins, right? Now, by the way, he didn't and know there any of those will people. be there will be more. We didn't get to Donald Jr., Jared Kushner, Roger Stone. Yeah. go down the list, right? But but already these are all people really close to Donald Trump. I know, and, and by what, their friends, you shall know them. Yeah, fair. Well, and what are we seeing from Trump and his lawyers? They're just working quickly to wrap up this Russia investigation, trying to pressure, put the pressure on Mueller, um, and. I guess to tie it in to our friend Devin Nunez, these people on the Hill are just putting up smoke screens for Trump. It, it seems um, they want to bury this investigation and Trump and his administration keep saying, no, there's no there there. You just gave us a pretty long list of pretty powerful and high up people in his or in his campaign and in his orbit. And yet they say nothing. They right. say nothing happened. Kill this investigation. Quickly, um, yeah. Even after Robert Mueller named twelve Russian, yeah, government operatives, members of the Russian government by name, by serial number, by Russian Russian military, yeah. by rank, by num- serial number, the whole thing, Donald Trump still says nothing there. No, it's a nothing burger, nothing at all. Um, but you mentioned Devin Nunez. Hmm. Devin Nunez, um, the still the chair of the House Oversight Committee, he had to step down. Uh, pardon. Uh, Intelligence Committee. Intelligence yes. Committee. Sorry, that's right. And he had to step away from the Russian investigation because yeah. he, he did such phony stuff with a, a, a pretending to have all this he bomb. Was colluding shell, with the White House. Colluding with the White House. <laughs> to uh, bury it. But he's still, he's up for re election too. Um, he uh, yesterday got in a little, well, a little embarrassment because uh, there was a. He didn't know he was live mic again, right? Yeah. He didn't know the mic was on. Somebody was taping him. Now, the audio, and Rachel Maddow played this last night, but the audio is very hard to understand. We're going to let Peter, we'll play it, and then, Peter, you can give us the translation All as right. well. Let me let but, you hear the audio But the first. essence of it is, he says, it's up to us, meaning Republican House members. We're the only ones who can save Donald Trump, right? Sessions won't come to and Mueller won't clear the president. We're the only one. All right, so I want to play that one more time. If talk- Sessions won't. Uh, unrecused. Yeah. If Sessions won't unrecuse and Mueller won't clear the president, we're the only ones. We're the only ones. Wow. If Sessions won't ones. unrecuse, if Mueller won't. Uh, essentially saying if, if if Mueller won't leave the president alone, right? Right. Like, I'm not yeah. totally sure what he says there, but he, if he won't. And, then, but, like, they're the last ones. We're the only ones. Yeah. So he sees... The role of Congress, right? Yeah, to cover up for the president, right? To protect the president, this, even though the president is guilty of wrongdoing. And that, and this is where it's kind of insane. That, that's he this sees is, that as his role. And this is where partisanship has just run so amok. Um, Congress is a completely separate branch <laughs> from the White House. I mean, uh, these guys. To- Used, used to, be, to be. These guys have no understanding of that. Under Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, yeah. it is not. And they will do anything. And this is where you want to look at these people and say, hey, you have your own career. Like, and if you want to salvage your party, don't go down with this guy. Don't cover up for him. Um, and just that's what they see their job is. And I don't see why they don't just wash their hands of it. And again, they already wrapped up their house. "Quote-unquote investigation into the right. Russia uh, collusion, not on the Senate side, 
the Senate side, we're still seeing a little bit of statesmanship uh, from Democrat Mark Warner and then uh, Republican Richard Burr of North Carolina, who actually has really stood out for not standing out. Yeah. <laughs> Nunez has been out there uh, lying for the president, uh, trying to cover up for him. Um, and now we have this tape where he freely admits it uh, to the donor class. Um, but that's where Burr does deserve a lot of praise. He's kept his head down. He's investigating. Um, but it's really a shame to see these House Republicans just feeling like their job is to protect uh, Trump now, at all costs. Now, talk about the, the proper role of Congress. Uh, to put it in perspective, uh, today is the 44th anniversary of Richard Nixon being forced to step down as president of the United States. Poor guy. Right. And in those days, <laughs> there was a delegation of Republican senators hmm. who went to the White House and said, Mr. President, we can no longer defend you. We, yeah. will, no, we will no longer defend you. For the good of the country, you have to step down. Hmm. The idea Could that, that happened today? with this batch yeah. of chicken, you know what, Republicans, <laughs> never happened. I mean, the only one who might possibly do it is John McCain, and poor John McCain yeah. is, is suffering from brain cancer and may not be back to the Senate. Well, no. But Lindsey Graham, ran, yeah. ran, these people that we think are so, yeah, Lindsey Graham, he can't play enough golf with Donald Trump. Rand Paul, we think he's independent. Rand Paul, who's the messenger boy to Vladimir <clears throat> Putin right now, yeah. delivering letters to Putin from Donald I mean, they are all, uh, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, Forget about it. And then the people, and this is where I get annoyed. They'll do anything Trump wants. Yeah, and this is where I get annoyed because you always see them quoted. But like in the Senate, the, maybe the two independent Republicans left, Corker and Flake. Oh. Well, but they're both retiring. They're giving up the fight. <laughs> no, stick Wait, around. Not only are they retiring, but they also cave at any Oh, moment. yeah. They still vote for everything Donald Trump yeah. wants. They may say a critical word, then they turn around and vote for whatever he wants. They're going to yeah. vote for Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. They, they, I mean, Corker, who was Mr. Anti-Deficit, right? I'm not going to oh, add yeah. one penny to the deficit. He voted for that budget-busting bill of Donald yeah. Trump, which is going to add probably $2 trillion to the deficit this year. Bob Corker voted for it on his way out. No. Zero credibility, zero principle I know. at all. Same thing, I'm, I'm sad. Jeff Flake, same thing, you know. They're there until you really, it counts, until you need them. And then that's where, you see it on both uh, sides, but there's just this groupthink that's taken over Washington. You have no independence, no thoughtfulness from the nation's political class. And it's really a shame. Um, for me, I guess Paul this Ryan, is why. Well, Paul I guess, Ryan, I mean. What do you think of the uh, profile of him by Ludovic? Well, uh, I haven't read it yet, I've just read about it. But, well, I hear so, that. Just, I hear that just he, for those who are not up to date yet, uh, Mark Leibovich, the senior now writer for New York Magazine, um, has a profile this Sunday. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in the magazine this Sunday, I believe. I think so. Of, of Paul Ryan. And he's been out talking about it. But I guess um, he doesn't bring up Ryan's desire to change Medicare at all. <laughs> he doesn't bring up uh, the soaring deficits under Ryan at all. So it, oh, no, let's, it seems let's like not, he drank the Kool-Aid a little bit. Let's not paint... Paul Ryan as either a successful or effective uh, or uh, legislator, number one, or anything other than a hardline uh, Republican extremist, really, who wanted to 
end every government program that helps the middle class or the poor in order bit. to give more tax breaks to the wealthy. Yeah, that doesn't really make you a policy wonk. No, no, yeah. which just is what he's you, trying to build his entire no, career. Exactly, on. it just makes you a cruel, hard yeah. ass Republican. Yes, yeah. Tax cuts, though, Bill. Exactly, tax cuts. That's his whole thing. That's what's going to be on his if grave. You don't get tax right. cuts. Well, tax cuts for the rich. I mean, oh yeah, that's his. That's all, and that's why that plus the most extreme judges that you can get are the two yeah. things that matter most to most Republicans certainly to Paul Ryan and to Mitch McConnell, and the reason why, we've said this so many times on this program, there is nothing Donald Trump could do. As he famously said, he could walk out on yeah. Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and these Republicans in Congress would do nothing. Why? Because Donald Trump will appoint their judges and sign their tax cuts. And you know what they're doing when they come back in the fall in the House? Tax cut 2.0, because they want to make permanent. The, oh, the tax cuts oh, yeah. that expire. So they want to do it uh, this knew, fall. Well, you knew that was coming. Oh, but all they want, <laughs> they're just a, um, they just have one tune that they play. Mm-hmm. And it's, but if you look at the president's numbers, and this is kind of the scary thing, his numbers don't budge. Um, and I think he's fine with that. And there's his, energy on their side. The money's just pouring in. So even Nunez, we were just talking about him. <clears throat> the numbers that he's pulling in for his race millions millions he's become this star for right. covering up for trump and i wish to i wish i'd as a californian former chair of the california democratic party i wish i could say we have a really good shot at knocking nunez off this year i think there's a good chance of picking up as many as 5 Seats from Republicans in California, in California, but the Nunez seat is not one of them. Yeah, most likely, sadly. Yeah, sadly. Um, so, uh, as an outsider, I don't think you've been covering it, but as an outsider, what's your take on the Paul Manafort trial? Um, does it look like Mueller's got a strong case? I don't know. I just I love these trials. They're so beautiful, especially uh, watching what Rick Gates admitting that he pilfered hundreds of thousands of dollars from Manafort and his former boss, uh, partner. I love he it. He has a little love. He yeah. has a little love nest in, in London. And- See, that's what I just love. These people are so sleazy. So this is better than um, daytime soap operas. Uh, all the President's Friends. Yeah. Someone, someone should start that show. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch that. <laughs> well, <clears throat> uh, but it looks to me like it's pretty, yeah, pretty airtight case. But I mean, then what even think? the defense, but then Manafort's no- defense is not saying he did not commit any crimes. He's saying Rick Gates committed these crimes, therefore you can't believe him. Yeah. They haven't yet denied that Paul Manafort committed any crimes. No. They and- can't. I think the evidence is just overwhelming. And we'll see. Yesterday they had the the finance officer right, yeah. right from the firm. Who had all the documents and who, who, who filed all these things? Who just went through the list of hmm. every illicit financial transa- transaction? Beautiful, but who even knows? Because Manafort, I don't know. I get nervous making any predictions um, these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, for one, Trump is our president, so I was wrong on that. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so after yeah. that, I got out of the prediction game. <laughs> but, right? Yeah. Uh, we all we all should have. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But this is a good one to watch. Um, 
who even knows? Because this is just case one. It still has to be tried in the district too, yeah, right? Because no, this the, one's in Northern second, Virginia. Yeah, the second trial is next month in in uh, uh, in here in Washington D.C. And the only question is whether Trump pardons Paul Manafort. I know. Bef- after the first trial, or does he wait until after the second trial to uh, <laughs> to pardon him? What do you? So and Republicans wouldn't care. Trump is just reading his pardon pen. Oh, Republican- th- again. Congress won't. He can pardon Paul Manafort? No. Republicans, his base will love it. Right? Yeah. His base will show us. This shows that he's a compassionate person, right? (laughs) He's a compassionate conservative. (laughs) Yeah. He he pardoned Paul Manafort. I want to know Trump's reaction to um, Omarosa. And her audio. Oh man! Oh, we Daily, about that. Daily Beast, amazing. one of my other so clients. It's... Daily Beast got audio, or I guess reported that she, she used to record yeah. the president, which is yeah. We haven't heard the audio. She hasn't released the audio, but she used it to sort of gain leverage for her book deal, which is coming out very soon. Pretty soon, uh, like yeah. like maybe even next week. But she has recordings that of Donald Trump. That he did not know she was recording him. It's beautiful. Yeah. Unhinged is the name of her book. Uh, yeah, it that sounds, comes like out. sounds like it's about him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and about her. <laughs> True. You're right. It comes out. Uh, it comes out very soon. It just says uh, pending here, but uh, but yeah. So imagine that. So you're in the White House. You're working for the President of the United States. And what did she do? Do you think she used her iPhone or something? But. I would imagine so. I don't think right. like she wasn't wired for the fly. FBI. Right. It yeah. was, right, right. It was just that she did it on her own. Okay, at that time, she's Trump's baby. I mean, I used to see yeah. her in the briefing room. She was she was mm. very much a part of the team. Why would she do that? Because she knew that he would eventually turn against her, maybe, or probably, or even at that time, she was well, thinking of writing a book. Well, and there's no loyalty. In Trump land. No, oh, there's, there's no zero loyalty. Loyalty she, to himself. Good point. She no is, loyalty in Trump land. She, there's no other way to put it. She is a protege of Donald Trump, right? Like, we saw this happen on air, live on air. She was one of the very first contestants on The Apprentice. Yes. <laughs> and tied herself to Donald Trump all throughout his uh, 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 career. But she said, apparently, in the book, that uh, I forgot what moment it was. Maybe it was the Charlottesville thing. Uh, that she watched him make these statements and she realized that there was something very, very wrong with him. Huh. And that might be why she started taping him. But she that, that's apparently a big part of the book is he is not well. She saw it. Oh, you know what it was? It was the, it, uh, you know what I, I remember what it was? It was the, his very first press conference, which was rambling. Oh, God. And yeah. Insane. Yeah. Totally insane. She, no, said, she watched there. that. Was... Yeah. She said she watched that and said he has lost a step and he's not well. And she got very concerned, but she kept working for him for several months after that. But that's the most beautiful thing, that we're going to take this reality TV star's word over this reality TV star. (laughs) (laughs) God, this show is getting so bad. (laughs) It's almost predictable. But you did point out there is no loyalty uh, at all. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, this is, uh, you're talking about, uh, the bizarro world. Um, yesterday, Rudy Giuliani talks about um, whether or not Donald Trump's going to sit down with Robert Mueller. Yeah. And he gives an amazing interview to that great talk show host, Jay Sekulow, who happens to be his 
partner attorney for Donald Trump. So Donald Trump's two lawyers are talking about this issue on one of their radio shows. Here is and here, Rudy making this incredible argument. Honestly, he's got all the information that he needs. The Mueller. interview will provide nothing in addition to what he what he already has. So he can write his report. And we have been, we've been willing to profit. In other words, we've been willing to say this is the answer he will give. And we'll be stuck with it. All right. So, Matt, you're a college professor. <laughs> what if your students said to you, we'll just send you the answers. We don't have to come in yeah. to take the test. We don't have to come in to answer any questions. We'll just send you our answers ahead of time. Perfect. Perfect. This is how things work in the, the Twitter world. Yeah, right. Uh, that's insane. The, I know, the mindset of these people. And who knows? But watching Giuliani and Succolo do that, they're, for one, it's a little unsettling because they literally just want this prosecuted in, um, out in the public. That's what they're going for, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. But you know also what they're just not willing to say? There is no way that they're going they'll do anything they can to prevent Donald Trump from being questioned by I Robert know. Mueller. Because you know, he can't tell the truth for five minutes, let alone for two hours. If I were Trump's counsel, I would not let him say anything. Yeah, darn right you wouldn't. Hey, great to see you, my friend. You Matt too. Laszlo with us, yes, from Rolling Stone, Rollingstone.com. Have a great day, folks. This Peter's here is a friend of Bill tomorrow. All day.